And uh, we started a, uh, a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled A Christmas Like No Other. And we want to continue that series now as we are at the week where uh, we're staring down Christmas. And uh, uh, I pray that uh, uh, all your preparations are coming together good. If there are some preparations to be made. And uh, how many of you are last second shoppers? Can I just see? Yeah, okay. How many of you, uh, you, you just, you get your Christmas shopping done right away and so that you're not stressed on this week. Let's see your hands. But you people are amazing people, let me tell you. How many of you would never raise your hand if I paid you $50 to raise your hand? See? That's what I thought. All right. Well, Christmas, Christmas can really, really uh, be uh, an interesting time for so many people. It can be really stressful. Uh, I think oftentimes, and, and we hear this kind of as a catchphrase a lot, that uh, sometimes I think we can risk uh, missing the, the meaning of this incredible holiday. And sometimes we get really caught up on a lot of other things, the, the giving, the receiving, the, the, the parties, the get-togethers, this and that and everything else. And, and sometimes we forget that it's still all about Jesus. And, and that leads me to uh, our message for today. I want to sh- share a message entitled, A Crib Like No Other. A Crib like no other. We, we've talked about a name like no other. We've talked about a king like no other. And, and last week, I believe, we talked about a, a knight like no other. And today, I, I want, to, want to talk about the crib, the manger, where the baby Jesus was put. And uh, I will tell you, and, and this probably will not come as a surprise to anybody here, that uh, a... a a manger, a feeding trough for animals, is not normally where you place your newborn child. How many of you would agree with that, okay? How many of you think that's just fine? Uh, What's wrong with you? Uh, So this is not the normal place for any baby to be, especially Jesus. And I want to share with you an application that we can pull from this uh, often heard, often read, often acted out part of the Christmas story that may challenge each of us here today. So if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's, the reading of God's word as we read this together. We're in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1 and we'll go to verse 7, Okay. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby 
to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Many translations say there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray. God, I pray that uh, you would show us that this crib was uh, a crib like none other. And yet, Lord God, I pray that your word would challenge us on this day, that we would put you in your rightful place in our lives. So, Lord, bless the presentation and the reception of your word today, and we'll thank you for all that's done. In Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, at the risk of, uh, of freaking you out with your, your manger scene and your Christmas decorations, and I'm not here to do that today, although I could, uh, but uh, th- this story is, is very interesting because of where they placed the baby Jesus, okay? Keep in mind that the creator of the entire universe, the Lord of all creation, you would think would be born in royalty amidst a castle uh, with nobles, and, 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 and that wasn't the case. It was actually very, very private. And because there was no room for, because of this census, there was so much going on that any room that Joseph and Mary and the baby could have had, none was available. So the best way that they could lay down the baby to sleep was to put him in a manger. Now think of that. Think of putting the Lord of all creation in a place where a cow eats. Uh, it's, it's interesting that there was no room. I want you to catch this thought. There was no room to put Jesus where he should have been put. Let me ask this question. Do you have room for Jesus in your life today? In this culture that we live in, it is very easy to kind of divide our life in segments. The fancy word would be to compartmentalize our lives. So that we have our work life, we have our personal life, we've got our home life, and then we've got our church life or our Jesus life. And what happens for many people is that we often don't let those lives mix at all, especially the Jesus part. And the problem is, is that we run the risk of other things, even good things, by the way, good, bad 
sinful, not sinful, we run the risk of having something else occupy that section of our lives where Jesus belongs. In fact, is there something that's occupying the space in your life that would normally belong to Jesus? You know, having served this church for 22 years plus now, I've seen a lot. And I've seen and heard a lot of justification for making some very spiritually unhealthy choices. Pushing Jesus further out from where he should be in very critical parts of our lives. Until all we have left is a spiritual manger. And we'll put him there because we have no other place to put him. Are you following what I'm saying today? And I think that's a danger that we need to examine. And and my my prayer would be that every single time, Every single time that you drive by, walk by, pass by, or even in your own house, you see that little manger scene somewhere in this next week. It would remind you to ask yourself a question. Is Jesus where he rightfully needs to be in my life? So I've chosen three areas to to carefully examine today that I've noticed and I've seen, and we could deal with in Scripture, where I think Jesus tends to get kind of nudged out, not really shoved out, because this can be very, very subtle. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, I'm not going to serve Jesus anymore. That rarely happens. It's usually a process. It's... It's never, you know what, I think there's a little too much God in my life. And I think I'm going to throw some other things in place. We don't say that. But what happens, other things become more important. Again, bad things, good things. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we could find Jesus being placed in our lives in a spot that he really has no business being in. And let me show you just a few that I thought I would identify today that I think might help us. First of all, let's examine our minds. Let's examine our thought life. Let's examine... Some of you are thinking, my therapist has been trying to do that for years. Um, <laughs> exhibit A. But let's, let's talk about our thoughts. I I am convinced that those things that we dwell on mentally will eventually become a belief. And then those things that we allow to become beliefs will then evolve into our actions and our conduct and what we do. And so many times people want to change their habits to get closer to God when what they actually have to do is change 
their thoughts on it. Is it any wonder that Paul tells us, and I don't have the scripture for you on the screen, but in Romans chapter 12, that we are told to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And many times we try to be transformed by the renewing of our habits. Well, I'll just make a New Year's resolution. Good luck with that. Check with me on January 7th and we'll see how you're doing with that. It has to be more than just some nice action mission statement. There has to be a change in our minds. What do we dwell on mentally? And where is Jesus in those thoughts? I was brought to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. A lot of you know this verse. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, that's a good list for us to devote our thoughts. But what do we do? Oftentimes, we will devote our thoughts to those things that give us anxiety. We will find ourselves dwelling mentally on the wrong thing. What do you find yourself dwelling on mentally? Do you wake up and just dreading life? You, you, you think about your biggest problem. You think about how miserable you are, and you dwell in that. I have met people that are not happy unless they're miserable. You've heard me say this. They would not know how to act unless they were miserable. And that's not God's plan for you. And oftentimes, our thought life can be so focused on the wrong thing. You know, your thought life could actually be focused on something that's very good, but yet it's not Jesus. Where's Jesus in your thoughts? See, if Jesus is not in your thought life, I guarantee this will happen. He will be replaced by something less life-giving. If the only time that Jesus occupies your mind and occupies your thoughts is on Sunday morning, that's, that's not healthy. That'd be like only eating one time a week. God forbid. Some of you, it's been like two hours since you had your biscuit and you're already getting the shakes, okay? So you can identify with that. But if we allow our minds to be so anti or not Jesus, anything but God, anything but the things of God, that's when we find ourselves in trouble. And could it be that Jesus in our thoughts and in our minds has been placed in a spiritual manger at a place that Jesus really has no business being, but there's just no room for anything else, Pastor. I'm a busy person. I got bills to pay. I've got this. I've got that. I don't have time. You've missed it. Jesus has to be preeminent. See, remember when I was talking about compartmentalizing your life? Here's the thing. Jesus has to be part of all of that. So he needs to be part of your, 
your home life and your work life. And he needs to be part of your personal life. And he needs to be part of your life when you're all by yourself. And he needs to be part of your life when you're with other people. He needs to be in that. And if it's not in your mind, then he's not going to be anywhere. We should examine our minds. Secondly, this morning, I would challenge us to not only examine our minds, but let's examine the mistakes that we've made. Our past. If, wow, this is an area that we so often try to handle without the Lord. Maybe because of guilt, maybe because of shame, maybe because of pride. Uh, The list can go on and on. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, the one used by the Holy Spirit to write most of the New Testament, that Paul, he talked about his own struggle with sin in Romans chapter 7. And look what he had to say. He said, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. This will sound familiar to some of us. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Paul says, who's going to rescue me from this? How am I going to handle the mistakes that I've made? See, here's the deal. A lot of us cannot get past our past. And we don't understand that and, and I've, been, I've been touching on this a lot lately in some teachings, in, in, in five minutes with Phil, and in and, and, and some sermons here. Jesus not only wants to deal with your sin and the penalty of your sin, and he does. And the blood of Jesus covers that, which is fantastic. But he also wants to deal with the guilt and the shame and the remorse of our sin as well. See, here's the deal. The blood of Jesus Christ is a complete work. And a lot of us, because we're so, I don't know, maybe we're embarrassed because of what we've done. We think that somehow we cannot live up to God's grace. Sure, yes, we're going to end up in heaven with Jesus. Praise God. Sure, the blood of Jesus Christ will keep us from eternity in hell. Praise God. But here's the deal. A lot of us are struggling with some things while we're still here on earth that Jesus doesn't want you to struggle with. The grace of Jesus is greater than your shame. The blood of Jesus Christ is greater than your remorse for what you've done in the past. Mankind might hold your past against you, but if you have asked God to forgive you of it, you're free. And you don't have to go back and rewind and press play on that over and over and over again and beat yourself up. 
And see, because a lot of people, we never, ever experience victory. We never, ever become all that God wants us to be because we have taken Jesus out of the equation from the sin and the guilt and the shame that we have dealt with, maybe for some of us for years. The blood of Jesus is a complete work, not a partial work. Aren't you glad? When you go to the hospital and you're sick, wouldn't you be a little nervous if the doctor said, well, we could treat you for about a third of what you're going through. See ya. Uh, None of us would like that prognosis. The blood of Jesus... Jesus says, let me in to your mistakes. I can handle your mistakes. I died for your mistakes. And we'll deal with the penalty. We'll, we'll keep you out of hell, but, but we're not going to stop there. Jesus says, let, let's deal with your shame. I want to take away your shame. I want to take away your remorse. And for some of us, that is a harder thing to release to God than our sin in the first place. And the Lord wants to be very much involved with your mistakes. Don't put him to the side. Don't think that you have to deal with it on your own. You don't. He loves you so much that he can handle and help you with the mistakes that you've made. May I say that today if you're struggling with sin, if there's an issue of disobedience in your life, and what do I mean by that? If you're doing something that goes against what God's word and God's plan is for your life, let's just call it for what that is. It's sin. And thankfully, we are promised that if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So your day to be freed from that is today. You are not, you are not wired. You and I are not wired to handle sin by ourselves. That's not the way God's made you. God has made you in such a way where you have to rely on him to defeat that. And that's a great place to be. Because I promise you, we'd probably get it wrong every single time. But the blood of Jesus and his death on the cross was enough for us to be recipients of freedom in our mistakes. Are you thankful for that today? Where's Jesus in your mind? Where's Jesus in your mistakes? And finally today, I, I, I would challenge you to place Jesus right in the midst of your misery. Right in the midst of whatever issue you're facing right now. Whatever problem you're going through, you need not keep Jesus out of it. I once heard somebody say, well, you know, I don't pray much for me. I just pray for other people. Okay? In the name of Jesus. Get over yourself. Because the Lord wants you to pour your heart out to him and to give all 
of your issues and all of your problems to me. Jesus said, come to me, those of you who are weak and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. Jesus says, bring it. Bring it. I can handle your problems. I can handle your, your, your fears. I can handle your misery. Isaiah chapter 41, I'm reminded of this great couple of scriptures. Verses 1 and 2. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flames will not set you ablaze. The Lord says that even in the midst of the flood, and even in the midst of the fire, He's there with you. Do not exclude Jesus from your problems. You pray. You, pray. You, you interject Jesus into your problems. Don't get mad at him. Don't get mad at him because you face trouble. That's not fair. I became a Christian and now I got problems. Well, we've all been there. We all had the t-shirt, Right? We've all experienced that. And if somebody sold that line to you, I'm sorry, but get your refund because that is not what Jesus says. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And see, we're not expected to deal with troubles on our own. You're not. You're not. So when there's misery, when there's trouble, that is not the time for you to take any steps away from Jesus. This is not the time. This is not the time to be so focused on your troubles and so focused on your troubles that you casually carry Jesus to another place while you can deal with real life. Jesus says, don't carry me away. Don't put me any place that I should not be. I want to be there in the midst of your misery. I want to be there in the midst of your troubles. I want to be there in the midst of your problems. And look, we're not asking God to give us problems. (laughs) Uh, No, we're not. We're not asking God, okay, God, bring it. I love this. If that's your prayer, you're weird. But, but, okay, you're just kind of strange. But when those troubles come, and I look around the room, and different ones of you had challenges in the last couple of years. We've prayed with you. We've prayed for you. And in the midst of it all, I want you to know that Jesus was there. And he's still there. Well, I can't feel him. Oh. And I'm going to be straight with you. There, there are moments... I don't know who this is for, but there's moments in the midst of your misery where you're not going to sense his presence as much. That doesn't mean he's gone anywhere. That doesn't mean he's gone anywhere. When when Jonathan was little, he'd get irritated with me sometimes when I would uh, have him go certain places and I'd follow him. 
like, how come you don't go first? I said, just go. But I knew that the potential for him stumbling into something, running into something, or, or I wanted to be on guard because I'm this hovering helicopter parent, at least my therapist says that, and, 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 and just making sure that he was okay. Did he know I was there? No. Was I there? Yeah. Sometimes you can't sense the Lord's presence, but trust me, he's there. He's there. But don't you try to leave him. Don't you try to put him somewhere else. Don't walk away from God. Don't get angry with God because of what you're going through. This is the time to remember that he is with you in the fire. And he is with you in the flood. And don't you forget it. Spiritual mangers. (laughs) They placed the king of kings in a place. Now, it did fulfill scripture, but the thought to me of, of placing the king of kings somewhere where it'd probably be the last place I'd put the Messiah... There he was. But yet, we sometimes will say, I really don't have much room for Jesus, so I'll just put him here. And the Lord would say, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I'm going to close with this. He would say, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Your thoughts, what you dwell on mentally, seek Jesus first. Your, uh, <laughs> your misery, seek Jesus first. And, and you're, you're looking at a planner. Okay, when I have problems... I immediately start formulating my plan. And sometimes I don't include Jesus in my planning. So I make a lot of messes. Seek seek him first. And in your mistakes, there is nothing you have done that is outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. Seek Jesus first. Jonathan, can you help me? I wonder this morning, I'll ask the same questions that I started with. One, do you have room for Jesus in your life? Not not just on Sunday, but every day. Is there room for Jesus every day in your life? Secondly, is there something, good or bad, that's occupying the place that Jesus belongs It's okay to make money, but not at the expense of where Jesus should be. It's okay to excel at school or in your job. That's great, but not at the expense of where Jesus should be. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in your life? Could you stand with me? I'm going to pray. And, and, and I wonder today if we could just 
take a little bit of an inventory of our own lives and ask ourselves, Where, where's Jesus? Where, where's Jesus in my life? Pastor, I do a lot of good things. Awesome, but, but don't, don't let it be in place of Jesus. Folks, I do ministry. That's, that's my vocation. But I can't let that get in the way of my relationship with Jesus. That has to be, that has to be first and foremost. So, so believe me, I, I, I have to wrestle with this often as well. So maybe today would be a good day for us to say, Jesus, where are you in my life? In fact, why don't we do that right now? Why don't we just bow our heads and say, Jesus, where are you? Where are you in our lives? Is my job more important? Are my hobbies more important? Is money more important? Are you even in my thoughts, Lord God? Lord, I've been trying to handle my mistakes all by myself, and, and I need you, I need you to step in. Lord, the difficulty I'm going through, the misery I'm going through, Lord, I need to interject you into it. Let's pray those kind of prayers right now. So, Lord, search us, I pray. Search every heart, search every life. Are you where you should be in our lives? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Speak to us, I ask you. Hallelujah. Now here's what I'm going to do as you're still in a, in a mode of prayer. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to each person where they could rightfully place you. So that means that we might need to do some shuffling around to some things. So we need not walk out of here just knowing what the end game is, but God needs to give some of us a strategy. He needs to give us a plan. He needs to say, you know what? Maybe you don't need to work 70 hours a week. Maybe, maybe just rely on me to take care of you. Quit thinking that your mistake and your sin is too big for me to deal with whatever it is and, and, and maybe as we are in the presence of God we could just say Lord speak to me now and show me what needs to be done in my life so that's my prayer for you today and, and when you're finished with the Lord then you can quietly be dismissed to fellowship with one another in the lobby but let's Let's make this a place of prayer for the next few minutes before we leave this place. So, Lord, we come to you and we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal to each of us where we maybe have misplaced you. God, I pray that you would identify areas of our lives where we need you to be put where we need you to be restored. <laughs> God, areas in our thoughts, in our mistakes, in the troubles that we're going through, God, we need you. So we choose to seek you first, I pray. So God, 
I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to people's minds that they could walk out of here with some kind of idea of how they could improve and how they could find themselves putting you right back where you belong. So meet with us, I pray. Meet with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to pray, feel free to do so right now. If God's released you,